Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. All right, picking up the conversation from the last hour. Um, this was based off of, but this is a longstanding problem. It's been going on for years. I mentioned in the last hour that uh, these big events, New Year's Eve or first night, I think it used to be called. I don't know if they still call it that. Uh, but you know, WBT used to do the New Year's Eve uh, uh, bash. We were always on site. We helped with the, with the show July 4th. That was ours, actually. The July 4th celebration was WBT's. It was the WBT Sky Show. Always has been. And then we started seeing, I want to say it was mid-2000s, we started seeing the very same kinds of activity that we saw on New Year's Eve in Uptown this year. I mean, we never had the shootings, but we had brawls. We had people you know, jumping on cars, kicking cars that were trying to leave the scene. And then, you know, the after-action reports come out and, you know, how did this happen? And it's the same story. Beefs between people, families, groups, gangs, whatever, in the neighborhoods. They congregate in Center City at these big events and they cause trouble and they attack each other and they attack innocent people. And the the, the benefit is that they're, it's a crowd. And the assailants, the thugs, can then... Run away. Oh, yeah. Sorry. You're not allowed to use the word thug anymore. Well, anymore. It's been 20 years. Pat McCrory used the word thug 20 years ago when describing the thuggish behavior of the people that were behaving in a thuggish manner and people lost their minds. Everybody, because again, when the scandal, right, when the scandal is about a Republican, the story is the scandal. When a scandal involves Democrats, then the, the story is the reaction by the Republicans to that scandal. So when Pat McCrory says there were thugs out there, Everybody jumps on Pat saying he's a racist, which is like absolutely asinine because the word thug predates 2005. It goes back a very long way. And when I think of the term thug, you know what I still think of? I think of like this cartoonish guy with the sock hat on, you know, uh, like the, the ski, ski knit cap, whatever. And like a cartoonishly like broad shoulders and very, very uh, uh, slim waist and tiny little legs, a big jaw, you know, it's probably got like a five o'clock shadow going on. That's the thug that I think of, like from, and I don't know where I got this image from, but that those are the thugs that I think of. Oh, and he's white too. But because somebody else thinks of, I guess, a black person when they think of the term thug, now Pat McCrory must also think in that way. It's. It's, it's, it's a symptom of a larger problem. It's oppressor-oppressed mentality, right? The stuff, this is why it all connects. I keep bringing this, all, all these things together because they all connect. This has been going on for the better part, particularly in the last 30 to 40 years through our education system that has been teaching this critical pedagogy to view people through these Marxist prism, uh, this Marxist prism of oppressor and oppressed. And this is what we get. 
Nobody is responsible for their own actions, but certain people are responsible for the actions of everybody else. It is not sustainable. It's going to destroy the society, and I'm not kidding about that. Like that's, I don't make a predi- I don't make predictions on elections, but I can make a, a pretty good prediction on this. You keep going down this path, we allow ourselves to keep going down this path. The society collapses. It's unsustainable. I have played enough Sim City games to know. <laughs> so, July or uh, sorry, the um, uh, New Year's Eve celebration. One guy, 19 years old, he gets arrested for shooting into the crowd, injuring five people. Thank God nobody was murdered. But there was also this 15-year-old who was involved in the disturbances. Was apparently, um, he had apparently cut off his uh, ankle monitor. They, uh, he had a gun. He was driving a car with no operator's license. And then he resisted the police which once again gets to this right to resist belief. Then the detectives attempt to obtain a secure custody order for the juvenile, but the Department of Juvenile Justice denies the request and the suspect is released into the custody of a family member. This juvenile has a lengthy criminal history, including multiple auto thefts, resisting a public officer, larceny from auto, breaking and entering, and assault with a deadly weapon. Do you think he's a risk to the public? Shouldn't that be the priority when determining whether or not somebody is detained, no matter their age? You can look at other factors as well. I'm not saying don't look at other factors, but shouldn't the primary factor be whether or not this individual is a risk to public safety? In other words, they have a propensity to reoffend, and we can make that guess based on past activity. And based on this kid's past activity, that answer is abso-freaking-lutely yes. He suffers no ramifications. He just keeps getting sent back home where he checks in and then goes out and steals some more cars, apparently. So here's where the Division of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention... Oh, hang on. Delinquency prevention. Here's their statement. They say their role is to consider potential risks to public safety, the individualized needs of the juvenile, and their risk of reoffending when making decisions about how to best address delinquency. And secure custody orders are granted by district court judges. Once again, there's a problem with the judges. And until Mecklenburg County voters... Start voting out some of these Democrat judges. I'm not sure any of this changes. Quote, in the juvenile justice system, there are two parties. No, I'm kidding. That's the law and order thing. All right. In the juvenile justice system, pretrial secure custody is reserved for juveniles who pose a public safety risk or to ensure a juvenile who has a history of not showing up for court hearings comes to court. It cannot be used to punish a child before the court has heard the case. Okay, I'm not saying punish this kid before the court hears the case. I'm not saying, you know, cart before the horse here. I'm saying this guy, he poses a public safety risk. He had a gun. He's 15 years old and he had a gun. Is that not a public safety risk? He is a prohibited holder. He's not allowed to own a firearm. He's not allowed to possess a firearm. And he was. 
That is a threat to public safety. His brain is not even fully formed yet, and he's packing. That's a threat to public safety. It cannot be used to punish a child. Okay, fine. Or before uh, a court has adjudicated. The Eighth Amendment of the Constitution guarantees pretrial release where a public safety risk does not exist. So that's what they're saying. Since in the juvenile system, bonds do not exist, our staff must ensure all due process procedures are considered before a child's rights and freedoms are taken away beyond the legal reasons to reserve detention for juveniles who present a danger to public safety. Evidence-based research indicates that the use of juvenile detention for pretrial juveniles increased felony recidivism by 33% and misdemeanor recidivism by 11%. Hence, reserving detention for juveniles who are dangerous is being smart on crime and improves outcomes for our youth and community. So what they're saying is, if we were to have detained this individual, it would have been more likely they became a felon. Okay? 33%. Increased felony recidivism. That's what recidivism means. Reoffending, right? Misdemeanor recidivism, 11%. But what are they assuming? They're assuming they made the right call. Right. They're assuming that the right call was made here, that this person was not a public safety risk. So they shouldn't have been sent to detention. Because if they thought he was a public safety risk, he would have been detained. Recidivism would have gone up. Right. But they would have said that was the right call to make because of public safety. But when you say, oh, well, no public safety concern, send him home. And that's the right thing, because otherwise he would have been a recidivist. It's almost like they've rigged this so no matter what way they decide, they're always justified. It almost seems like that. I know, I'm being a little cynical. Just a wee bit, just a teensy-weensy bit. I want to talk with uh, Charlotte City Councilman Tark Bukhari, um, whose name was invoked by Bart from West Boulevard uh, Ministries earlier in the program talking about the crime situation. Tark, how are you? Great, Jerry. I'm sorry you're having to wait, but when when Tark calls on the line, everyone has that's to hold, bud. Right, that's right. Well, I think it's a she. I think Jerry's a she. So, uh, all right. So one of the things. Uh, so one of the things uh, we've been talking about. I want to get to your idea on this task force because I understand there's some there. There was some positive news out of this. What yesterday? But um, how do you how do you think the the city council or uh, or city leaders, county leaders? How do you go about addressing? the incentive structure that exists right now for judges and Democrats really kind of writ large who rely on progressive activists in their internal politics, in their primaries and stuff. You've got essentially one political party that is the dominant one in Mecklenburg County, um, and their incentives are all lined up for these progressive policies. How do you combat that? Yeah, well, uh, it's not easily is probably the punchline. But, you know, what's interesting to me is this has always been a topic I've cared a lot about. But with this specific task force approach over the last 72 hours, of which I hate the word task force, but I had to use something. Mm. Um, I've actually had a, a ton of conversations and I actually talked to a judge um, it, that, that I know very well. And I'm not going to say who, who it is, but it's not on my side of the aisle. And the things that were said to me and the realization of kind of like what they're experiencing was 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 actually shocking and shocking to hear from the other side of the aisle. So I know the politics are in it and those things. But that, that I think that's the broader reason why 
the approach that I've used for six years, where sometimes I find bipartisanship on things, but sometimes it just blows up and I have to go Lone Ranger on things. While that's you know great for the narrative and the headlines, it doesn't achieve the big things. It has to be bipartisan, particularly in kind of an urban city like Charlotte. And, and that means that you know, we've got to figure out uh, sometimes behind closed doors in a couple of negotiations, how do we make sure that the, the both the, the, the progressive and conservative mindset of what needs to be achieved is kind of baked in? Because right now, our t- entire approach locally around here is the progressive mindset. Mm-hmm. It's empathy first and it's not working. Right. It's uh, you remember uh, the late city councilwoman, Mayor Pro Tem Susan Burgess, who after uh, who after the two police officers, Sean Clark and Jeff Shelton, were murdered. uh, She said at a council meeting, you know, our community has failed the attacker that like the the kid that murdered them. Like, how have we failed this kid? And and that's that's not uh, I would say that's not a healthy approach. And she got dragged for it. I don't know. But that's the world we're in. Right. Right. Literally, maybe I remember that like vaguely back in her in her uh in her time since then that's become really the the mantra which is systemic failures have led to where we are and we need to focus on the systemic failures first and then we'll get around to rule of law and what's happening on the streets and i i have to believe there's a world where we can do both at once Mm -hmm. You mentioned in, uh, you put out on Twitter uh, this idea of the task force. Maybe a blue ribbon commission. Would you prefer that? Blue ribbon commission? Yes. Give out some blue, Absolutely. like, ribbons and stuff? Um, anyway, uh, but you said, you, you like, first come up with some basic questions, which this should be fairly easy to come up with, I would think, right? Repeat offenders, how much of the crime is being done by them? Uh, what laws are we not enforcing? And I think those two are, like, the big ones. Um, and then you ask, like, what laws do we need that we don't have? Um, but then also, like, this pattern of... Uh, low-level offenses, which ones tend to lead to worse offenses. And, and you know, criminologists know this stuff, right? They, they, I mean, they, they know if you start, like, murdering uh, cats and dogs at a young age, you're probably going to end up as a serial killer, right? Like, there are certain patterns we know exist. So how difficult should it be, do you think, to collect this information? The first phase of it's going to be super easy, and it's literally the lack of bipartisan agreement and will that hasn't already been done, to be honest. And some people look at it. But what I really believe will actually work, if I boil all the words and word salad down to what I'm actually asking to do is if we take the data and then we first draw a line up and say, here's the bar, at what level do we say this number of these types of offenses account for the smallest number of people committing the most crimes in Charlotte. And you start to say, okay, how many people have 20 offenses that are on the streets? Okay, 10,000, go up to 30. And if that sounds crazy, you will call the joyride from a couple of weeks ago from four 13 and 14 year old kids who combined accounted for 84 offenses. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, I think we'll find that there are two or 300 people that are accounting for a huge chunk of the offenses. And then there's adults and then there's children, which is a different uh, approach. But, but once we get there, I think there are two other final data points that are going to be really important. One is where have they fallen through the system and gotten back out on the street? So now we start to understand the themes there. And then I think the piece that's important for me, but also then the Democrats is, and what is the more systemic root cause of why? If it's a kid who's doing this, 
is there a parent sleep at the wheel and therefore there need to be harsher enforcement there? Or is their parent also pleading for help from the system because the kid's out of control and it's gang members pushing them? So once we have that view, I really believe it will come into focus that, that what we need to go do to say, guess what? And I don't want, I got to come up with a better word than this because Charlotte's most wanted list is the worst thing to call it. <laughs> but if you're on this watch list and you get pulled over, it's almost like special intel that pops up in CMPD to say, this person, when dropped off here, like the, they need to go here. And this is where they enter and we start fixing the system problems. The law and order stuff box get checked. But then most importantly, this doesn't have to end with, okay, they're off the street. It can go through rehabilitation in different angles. We can take the same law and order systemic data approach that, that conservatives want and apply it in the holistic life cycle of like, what's, what have we done wrong systemically to make sure these folks are not productive citizens today. So I, uh, I know uh, you're jammed up with time. Do you have time to stick around for one more segment with me? Sure, sure. Are you sure? I don't, but I'm with you, so I will. Oh, look at that. See, he's buttering me up. He's trying to get on a promo. I think he's trying to get out of promo. All right, no. All right, Tarek McCarthy, Charlotte City Councilman. I do appreciate your time. I sincerely do. Hang on. Uh, we're going to do some news. We'll try to blow out some spots and get you back real quick. All right, do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay, so what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply. At CarolinaReadiness.com, whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at CarolinaReadiness.com, veteran-owned Carolina readiness supply will you be ready when the lights go out one of the um one of the things when you were going through these different uh your, your suggestions before about uh you know when cops pull people over and they would know how to plug them in so i heard that and i can see i see where you're going with it but i also wonder there's that you know limited government uh, voice in my head saying is this creating more of a police state apparatus that could be used against people well yeah i mean it certainly could be viewed that way. And that's one of the reasons why I, I think, and again, we're figuring this all out real time, right? right? So I don't have all the answers, but I know what logically makes sense as a starting point. I think the answer there though, is we're not here to go out and round people up, right? What, what I think a perfect scenario would be is for, for loud and clear, the message to start being heard that, Hey, you know, next time you hit the system, for those of you who have found it, it to be a revolving door and have figured out how to exploit it, mm -hmm. that's that that day has come and gone because we are we are fixing those parts with the laser focus there. So none of this applies to you, which is particularly those with we're not talking about somebody who had an accident and a parking ticket. We're talking about most likely people with 20, 30, 40 offenses that are back on the streets and they are just repeat, repeat offenders. So if you hit the system again, just know there's going to be this task force thing that's going to keep their eye peeled towards where the system has failed the rest of us and allowed you back on the street to terrorize communities. Um, what, if anything, what role do you think um, the family uh, the structure of the the nuclear family, and I would argue the destruction of the the nuclear family, 
plays in all of this? Yeah, I, I so the, my first reaction to that has been that is everything. I mean, that like we're not going to necessarily find for the adult portion of this data set that I think we're, we're, we're going to focus on, that that's going to have some low-hanging fruit for us. That's the long-term stuff overall. But I do believe the youth side of this, which is huge from everything we're seeing, 13- and 14-year-old kids truly doing wild stuff that, that, is, that is unbelievable, I, I really believe that's the core of it and where we need to be. And my initial gut reaction, and this is where I started having the conversations pulling Raleigh in and the General Assembly was, you know, do we have enough teeth to the accountability for parents, right? And, and, I, and those who want to start with, you know, gun control, which I'm like, stop, let's not do that now. Let's focus on what actually works and is meaningful. And then if we get to a point where we say, okay, let's, let's find a tweak around the edge of, Gun owners have great responsibility, too. If you're leaving your gun in your car unlocked and somebody steals it, which is the number one way kids are getting guns in Charlotte right now, there should be some accountability for you as well there. Uh, and, and this is where it goes back to the parent. I, I really think that we need to sh- set some laws and set some examples to so parents have fear struck through them of where's Johnny or Susie out there. But also the DA pushed back on me the day before yesterday, and rightly so, which is, he said, there's also just be aware, there's a lot of cases where we hear from parents who are pleading with the system because their kids are out of control and they've given up. So, you know, I, I, it's going to be complicated, but I know if we focus in on a data set and put people into different tranches to say, okay, this is the root cause of where we are in this scenario, I, results will come from that. So, and the reason I ask about the family structure is because it does connect back into the, the the first question I asked about the incentive structure inside the Democrat Party, in that they have this progressive wing, these activists that um, that rule the roost, basically that, that that dictate the terms. And so, the quote reforms that we see um, are just sort of the symptoms of the root philosophy, which is in fact the destruction of the family unit. So if all of these or many of these problems are tracing back to fatherless homes, then and you have a party that is making it easier for there to be fatherless homes because it serves a larger purpose, which is, you know, Marxism, then then how do you and how do you get them to buy in when all of their incentives are all directed towards, you know, breaking apart the family and having the government act as uh, the father figure and and providing so much support that now fathers are off the hook. They don't have to provide. In my experience, locally, which is again where right. the focus is, I, I don't think that that is the driving factor of some of the bad uh, approaches and policies that have been taken in the past here. I, I that may be very well be the case that's driving strategy at a state or national level on that side. Locally, though, it's more like, you know, we're not going to we're not going to go after more law and order and and really take a hard line on things, even though our constituents are 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 pleading with us for that. It's more like it's the it's kind of the looser talking point of systemic injustices and therefore, you know, various forms of I'm going to use the term very loosely reparation, whether that's workforce training or the ability for contracts for minority and women-owned businesses, or whatever it is. So it's, it's in my, just to answer your question specifically, I think it's far simpler and less complex of a strategy there, but nonetheless, it leads to, you're never going to fix those in the short and midterm, if you fix them at all. 
So it needs a combination. And I, and I, this is where I think everyone maybe can win. And we might talk six months from now and be like, it was a noble effort, totally failed, right? But if they can get what they need to be able to talk to their base as it relates to uh, the long-term rep, like just recovery and, and preventative action of all that stuff, while we can secure the quality of life and safety on the streets, focusing on those that are just quite unbelievably breaking the laws over and over again, I think maybe there's a, a, a blueprint there for large cities. This is not a rural problem or anything like that. This is large city led by Democrat with maybe a little uh, spattering of Republican in it. Okay, so it sounds like then, and please correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like what I interpret you have, dis- you, you have said is that that the people at the local level, uh, they are advancing these systemic institutional arguments because they don't know, they don't understand the roots of their own ideology, that, that that's what's driving the activist base that pushes these types of reforms through from the state, from the national levels. But it's it's all I mean, but you've got local activists, too, and they like this is by design. Right. Black Lives Matter, for example. I think, would, I think if you if you confronted them on this, they would vehemently disagree with the statement. You've said that that is the ultimate objective, mm-hmm. even though perhaps perhaps and, and perhaps it is that they don't understand that is the unintended byproduct of what it is they're pushing forward but i i, I mean i've been listen man i don't know maybe this is the uh what's that stockholm syndrome <laughs> it very well <laughs> be stockholm syndrome but i've talked i talk to democrats every day every hour of every day and and i i they would not they would absolutely not agree that that is that is ultimately some broader strategy and i don't think they're lying right so right so they're not aware because it is yeah, the broader strategy. You could just look at the Black Lives Matter. You look at Black Lives Matter's organizing uh, documents, and, and they, they very clearly spell that out. They, they, they literally say the destruction. Not, I don't know if it's not aware. I think it's more like there's a mixture of, on average, again, I'm painting with a very broad sure. brush here. I think it's, it's more likely that it's like, hey, um, my base, it wants to hear about upward mobility for black and brown people, not that I have um, found a strategic approach that gets black and brown people incarcerated. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I mean, that, that's that painted with six broad brushes there, but it's, 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 I don't know how to articulate it other than I feel like it's way simpler at this municipal level as to how people are operating. Mm. Well, we shall see. I appreciate your time. Oh, You've been Pete, very, yeah, go ahead. I got to say one thing. I'm sorry. Just real quick. Pete Callender. You are a beacon for logic. You're a Twitter warrior. You're a patriot. I never thought the void of losing Rush could be filled, but having you every day on WBT 1110 is as close as we'll ever come. Thank you from all of us here in Charlotte. That's totally trying to get on a promo. Dude, and that was 20 seconds too, right Tark. There. That's perfect. 20 <laughs> seconds it out is all I need. <laughs> That's all I need, Tark. You're terrible. Thank you. You're terrible, Tark. <laughs> By the way, I want to con- I want to applaud you for the work that you do, which I think it does matter too with the esports stuff uh with, with these high school students, that uh, that's showing them a way forward. It's giving them uh hope for uh, and a vision for where they can go. And that I think is also really important too in this discussion as well. So uh, kudos that's to you and you for me and Jason Sane, representative from the House, <laughs> who's also passionate about that. Thanks, buddy. That's right. All right, man. Tark Bakari, appreciate your time, sir, as always. And, uh, yeah, we'll check back in in six months, and we'll find out if it was successful or not. I just remember having this exact same argument or discussion, I should say, 20 years ago with Peter Gilchrist, 
then district attorney with the repeat, 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 repeat offenders. And then things got cleaned up, and then we've drifted back. But Tark Bakari, thank you again. This is from Pete, who says, high cash bail. Seriously, all of Tark Bakari's objectives can be attained by immediate implementation of high cash bail. It's working out now on a limited example. It's working out now on one limited example. Just ask the mama of the Romare Bearden Park shooting. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, she wants her kid out, and they set the bail at 1.5 mil, and he's not getting out, and she's, she's upset about it. Of course, she says he didn't do it. Um, Stan says, uh, I'm all about giving out blue ribbons as long as they're Paps blue ribbons. Boom. Um. Dennis says on the uh, on the term thugs, I don't know if this will offend any of those listening, but I just found the word thug in my old Webster's Elementary Dictionary, um, the one my parents get got me when I was in the first grade. This was 1955, so the word has been around for a while. I think the old comic books of Dick Tracy helped make the word popular, defined then as, quote, a man who brutally attacks other persons, a ruffian, an assassin. I guess there are those that prefer the term ruffian. I'll, uh, look, you want us to use ruffian? I'll use ruffian. Totally fine with that, too. Uh, a second. Terry, uh, I believe the origins. Uh, yeah, they were called the thuggies uh, or thugies or something. They were, it was a group of professional criminals, devotees of Kali, who robbed and murdered travelers in northern India until the mid-1800s. Yeah, they were called thuggies or not thugites. Yeah, I think they were called thuggies. Um, didn't Keith Larson have an audio actuality from previous CMPD chief Rodney Monroe that was something like young punks running amok? Uh, gosh, it would be great to dig that up and play it from time to time. I think it was back. Uh, there was a kerfuffle at the NASCAR Speed Street or or maybe there was. Well, thinking back now, there's always a kerfuffle. New Year's Eve, Speed Street, July 4th. It was a July 4th WBT fireworks before the Knightsfield was built. I parked in the 7th Street garage, walking from the location to the garage. Uh, a few minutes later, the riot broke out. CMPD showed up with horses, dirt bikes, etc. This was 04, 05. Yeah, you are correct. That that did occur. Um, youth violence... Um, let the mayor, simple solution says Terry, let the mayor and council members host all festival events in their home neighborhoods on a rotating basis. Oh, I like it. That's a great idea. Um, Ben says, do you have any kids, Pete? It's hard for a parent to keep their eyes on children when they have to work two jobs because of inflation. Now parents are responsible for the kids, but at the same time, these are some badass kids nowadays. Uh, yeah. Look, I, mean, I get it. If you've got parents, that's what Tark Bakari was saying. you got parents that are asking the system to help them. They're asking law enforcement to help them because their kids aren't listening to them. They want their kid to do good, to be good, and the kids aren't. And how do you, how do you get them off of that path? Um, thug, Jan says... Pete, the word thug is an acronym. It stands for the uh, stands for T H U G, the helpful union guys. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, Michael, uh, who suggested the ankle chains rather than the monitors, 
um, says, why is it always that we failed them or the criminals or these people that are, that are, that are constantly in this revolving door uh, uh, through the criminal courts? Why is it always we failed them? Why can't it be that they failed? Uh, oh, Jerry says she had to go. She had a client call. Uh, she says, what's Spencer Merriweather's role rev- regarding recidivists? And what happened to the violence interrupters the city council paid for? That's a good question. I thought they were doing a lot of the interrupting. Just, I guess, maybe not on New Year's Eve. Where were all the violence interrupters? Were they around Romare Bearden Park on New Year's Eve? It's a good question. Thank <laughs> you.